And the question is, does that even matter? Am I just another insignificant bit? Because honestly, that's the way this generation feels. You're just, you just don't matter. But how about you hear Hannah's story and you hear it as your own? Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. Our sermon text this morning is from John 16, 16 through 33. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he was talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask me no more questions. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer talk to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not and I do not uh, say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and I have and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world uh, and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be bold. I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Uh, Clayton was telling me today that um, he was, he's been doing, going through uh, the Bible story comic book uh, from, was it Jimmy Swaggart Ministries? He said he got it from, yeah, it's a wreck. Actually, I've seen it. It's actually kind of wonderful. He, he goes through it and the kids love it day in and day out. And I'll tell you why. And you may have missed this. You may not be in your scriptures a lot. In fact, I know many of you pretty well, and I know you're not in your scriptures a whole lot. And uh, one of the things you're missing is, is, is this the story. I mean, the pure story of scripture. I mean, it is littered. It is filled. It is it's abundant with great story. Uh, I, I, as a kid, uh, I remember uh, when we got to Judges. Oh my goodness. Judges, I, as a little kid at least, it was violent. It was exciting. It was thrilling. It was all sorts of crazy things were happening. And I, I love the story. The story just pulls you in. And, it, and there's something about the story that's very 
psychologically accurate. In other words, the Bible, when it tells story, it, almost, it, uh, it tells story at a Shakespearean kind of level. I mean, the stories breathe life. They, they seem to, they, they have a persnickettiness in them sometimes, and, a, and, a la- and, and there's no heroes, really, uh, in the story. They're constantly, the, even the heroes of the Bible are constantly failing and constantly tripping over themselves. But one of the greatest things about the scriptures I love are the anonymous people, are the people who kind of appear for a moment and then disappear. They appear for a moment, as uh, almost in that sense of what Elliot, the T.S. Eliot talks about. They appear to like a move, move a little progress along in a play, as they, and they, they just just for a moment they're, they're there, and then they kind of they just disappear into the into the text. They don't they don't appear again. And one of those is Hannah. Hannah, her son, husband's name's Elkanah, and she is utterly insignificant. She's not important. To the story. She's not, she's in vital. She doesn't come from a vital family. She doesn't have a lineage to speak of. And in fact, it gets worse for her as we look at the story. It starts, it's the start of 1 Samuel, and it's just, it's a great little story. She is a part of a polygamous marriage. Now, polygamous marriages uh, exist in the Bible, and, and they're not openly condemned, although the model of a man and a woman, one husband and one wife, is put before us as the archetype, as, as the way we're supposed to operate. But you know, there are stories of polygamy in the Bible. And uh, the way the scriptures treat it, they treat it very, 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 um, <laughs> they treat it with story. Because every man and every woman in a polygamous marriage suffers. Every single marriage that has more than one suffers. There's always some problem. There's always a dysfunction operating deeply and banging around deeply between the wives and their husband. It's a nightmare. It never works well. Well, this is a good example. Hannah was the wife who didn't have kids. She, was, she had not yet had children. And in that culture, that meant you were cursed by God. And, oh, there were so many myths and superstitions. If you weren't fertile as a woman, it meant you didn't have a function. You didn't have a role to play. You, were, you didn't have a value. You weren't creating new value. It was a terrible place to be. So the whole culture is judging Hannah. Hannah didn't have kids. But it gets worse than that because Penina, the other wife, knew that her, the husband loved her more. You know, Elkanah, would even, he would give a double portion to Hannah, which must have ticked Penina off. And Penina couldn't stand it. She was a rival. She felt that Hannah had his heart, even though she had given him so many kids. It wasn't fair. And so she would tease her and she would provoke her and she would accuse her and mock her. And the scriptures have a funny way of describing it. She would, they would do it as often as she ever went to Shiloh. What was Shiloh? Well, Shiloh was where, the, was where the church was at the time. It was where the people of God came to worship. It was where the tabernacle was set up. And Eli was the high priest. And Hannah would go, and, and, and it said every time they would go, Hannah would take the time to go before the tabernacle and get down and just pray her heart out. Just pray her heart out. To go. And it says every time she did that, Penina, the other wife, got worse got even meaner and more cruel, more evil about it. Well, see, this, this story ends beautifully. We're going we're to keep teasing the story out a bit. It ends up ending beautifully for Hannah. Hannah winds up getting uh, a son, and uh, she winds up actually even being blessed beyond that. But uh, we'll look at that a little bit. But the reason I'm talking about Hannah is because she's so insignificant. She, she doesn't... All she does is force the movement of the play. She, all she does is present, and Samuel, her son, Samuel, who in the book is named after Samuel, it means heard by God. And that was her joy. She had been heard by God. Now, this little story, again, it was, it, then once, once they're gone, it, we don't really know much more about their lineage. We don't really know much more of what happens to Samuel's family. It's not, it's not important to the text. It's not important to the story of God. But this is one of those, this is the place I want to take us today. What does it have to do with our text, you may be wondering? The story of Hannah. Well, I think the reason it has such an important part to do with our text is because it puts us into a new perspective on story. Well, this, this is going to be the outline, and I get accused of not having an outline, so I like to put it up there occasionally to prove to everybody that it's there. And there it is. 
This is what we're going to plunge. This is what we're going to take our time with today. We're going to look at the eternal perspective of Christ on the journey, on the story, and why Hannah feeds this. She feeds this. We're going to then look at the on the ground perspective that's in Christ, that's in him personally and, and as we're in him. And then finally, the triumphant perspective, the triumphant story and how, how we live in that triumph. So by God's grace, that's where we're, we're going to go. But Hannah, Hannah's story, I want us to look here at, at Christ's story. Look, look how Christ describes his story. Now, Christ does a, he sums it up. Here in verse 28, he sums it up. He says there's a shorthand for everything he has been and done. What does he say? I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. And now what, this, this is a clue, and it's, it's a clue. It's an interesting clue here. The, the, the disciples are not really getting it. Even, even after this, they don't really, they say we believe you came from God. That's fine, but they don't seem to get this father-son thing going on. They, they're still kind of wrestling with it. But this, this right here, you might have missed it too. Because we often miss the pure incandescent glory of the eternal son. We still, we're not quite ready for it. You're not quite prepared to give him glory like he's due. To, to see the claim and to, and to see the perspective that he is self-aware. Christ's self-awareness is fascinating. How is he, is he, how much does he know about who he is? How does he, how does he understand it and see it? How does he breathe it? And here you see it. He sees himself in an eternal trajectory and he sees an eternal story that he is a part of. He gets very meta, right? He becomes, he, he begets meta and he sees himself in this eternal drama. And that is how he filters everything. That's how he understands everything. And it's how he comes up with statements like this. It's interesting if we could even get grander. This world in Greek is cosmos. So listen to this. I came from the Father and have come into the cosmos. And now I am leaving the cosmos and going to the Father. Be bold. What has he done here? I have overcome the cosmos. <laughs> and right this moment, the greatness of the story, the greatness and the magnificence. But I want you to put on your Roman hat for a second. Imagine that you're a Roman, you're a Roman citizen living on a, a villa in northern Palestine. You don't particularly like Jews. They're kind of annoying. And you hear a rumor that some people say that a godly man was crucified. And you know what your response would be? Ah, whatever. Criminals get crucified. What was his name? It was Jesus. Oh, it sounds like another one of those Jewish. I don't care who that is. It was insignificant. It was so insignificant, they barely marked where he lay. It was so insignificant, it would have been another check mark on a centurion's ballot, you know? Another Jew dead. Well, there were actually three got killed that day. <laughs> More work to do tomorrow. Three today, maybe a dozen next week. Just something to do in a dusty corner of a great empire that nobody cared about. And even the governor of those, of those places, like Pontius Pilate, was doing everything he could to get out of there. It was a miserable place. It wasn't a story that looks like this, was it? Not on the outside. Not on the outside. There's only a dozen guys there, and they're all about to abandon him. What's, what's the... But no, he has a perspective on his story that I think we're being invited into. You see, we're being invited into this story. Now, but let's, 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 let's even map it out for us so we can just see it. God the Father from eternity. The Son leaves God the Father from eternity. This is kind of a diagram of, of, that, of that verse, the verse 28, and then he leaves. Now, this also becomes a diagram by which we see the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, because the Holy Spirit delivers Christ to us, and then, we are and then we ourselves are taken up with him. We're a part of this trajectory in the abstract. Now, my concern about this diagram, you know, this is the world of space-time, reality. This is the, the, the known and the universe beyond our, our knowledge it's still not God, right? God is separate from the cosmos. He is independent. Creature, a creator, creature. Creature. This is creation. That's creator. They are not, they are, they are completely separate. He is eternal. This is finite. Now, when I put this up there, I don't think anybody's going to feel a lot of comfort out of that. Anybody feel warm fuzzies when you look at this? But here's the weird thing. Hannah somehow gets this. All right, so let, let, let's take a look. Uh, well, let's read it. I like response. It's a little bit hard to read, isn't it? I don't know if you'll be able to read it or not. I hope you can. It was hard to fit all that on one, on one slide. 
But I like, you know why we do responsive readings? Because it tells you that I need to hear God's word as much as you do. And I long to hear, I need to hear words of comfort too. I love the word of God back and forth. But let's hear her song, let's hear her praise, her joy, her, her shout. My heart exalts in the I am. My mouth derides my enemies. There is none holy like the I am. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. For the I am is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. But the feeble bind on strength. But those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. But she who has many children is forlorn. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The I am makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. The the On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful But the wicked will be cut off in darkness. The adversaries of the I.N. will be broken to pieces. The I.N. will judge the ends of the earth. Hardly sounds like the musings of an insignificant little peasant girl in rural Palestine some 3,000 years ago, is it? Pretty amazing. She takes, and listen to what she's doing. She takes her own personal suffering and with a rival and sees it in, in terms of an eternal story of justice with princes and, his, and her own. That's beautiful. She is, she is, and I think it's by the Holy Spirit. We're going we're to see this. The Holy Spirit feeds this. She is able, with that, she doesn't have as much scripture as you have in front of you. She doesn't have access to a Bible and clear promise. She's probably, probably got the Pentateuch if she can even read. But she is able to see that what looks like a minor squabble and spat that is hurting her heart and destroying her life is actually the place for what? Mighty forces are at work in the power of God and justice and his love. And in fact, her suffering does something else to her. I don't know if you've seen it, but suffering has a way of doing this. And while the Holy Spirit's present, she sees things that some of us don't see yet. What does she see? What does she see in her, in her, in her agony? Oh my goodness, she sees Jesus. The I am kills and brings to life. What is that? It is belief in the death and resurrection God. It is a belief in a God who can capture and conquer death in his own power. And get, look at this. What is this? What is, does anybody know how to say this in Hebrew? The anointed, the horn of his Messiah. You see, she, in, even in her, even in her, as she's processing the, the, the nastiness uh, and the hurt of this, that, that the other wife's giving her, and she sees the victory of God, she takes that little story that's anonymous. And what many of us would say, well, it's not that big of a deal. And says, no, it's a really big deal because it's a big deal to my God. And in it, she begins to glimpse Jesus in miniature. She begins to see the work of the cross in, oh my goodness, this is wonderful. And it instructs us. Well, how does it instruct us? Uh, I think one of the things I struggle with is, do I matter at all? I mean, come on, do you matter? Does what you're doing, Jamie Lee, matter to anybody? Does anybody care? Now, Jamie Lee said there was a shooting in the shelter this week. You know, <laughs> Does anybody care? Does anybody care about the way your foot hurts? Would the world even stop to, to pay attention, Brad? No. It's like we sit here and we, we have sufferings in our marriages. We, you know, we, we have sufferings with our boss or sometimes with our employees, with our in-laws, with our wife, you know, our kids. We have hopes and dreams that are sometimes squished. And we just, and, and the question is, does anything matter? Am I just another insignificant bit, another insignificant cog, another, another irrelevant bit? Because honestly, that's the way this generation feels, and it's the way I feel. You're just, you just don't matter. But how about you turn that on its head, and maybe your trials at school with uh, classmates, and maybe the struggles with a boss who doesn't seem to get who you are, 
or employees who have taken advantage of you, maybe the issues of justice that you're facing on the street. What if, what if that you hear Hannah's story and you hear it as your own? Then you hear that God is invested there. He wants to tell a story of redemption there. He wants to tell a story of his love. He wants to capture you and he wants you to have the same awareness that Christ had. He wants you to breathe in that Christ awareness that I am a part of a greater story. And my story is ennobled and filled by the purposes of God. That's, that's amazing. I think we, Hannah, Hannah had it without any Bible. We can have it. We have so many more promises, so much more truth to, to eat, so much many more things to feast on. Let's get it. So there's, a, there's an opportunity here for us to have an eternal mindset and for our stories and for other people's stories. Uh, you know, people, uh, there's nothing worse. I was, I was sitting with somebody else than when somebody tells you their dreams. You ever said that? You just like, want to bore. It's like, I don't want to hear your dreams. You know, it's like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't, it doesn't, you know, come on. Whatever they are, they're your problem, right? It's like, they don't give me insight into, you know, we, we get... But I hear here a desire, I hear her, I hear her new need, a new desire that if we are faithful children of our most high, we're listening to the stories of people's lives attentively. And we're learning, and we're learning to show them the, how that story connects with God's story. You see, that's one of your rights, one of your works that you're supposed to have by the Spirit is to come along a brother and a sister and go, you know, God's in your story. God, tell me your story again. We ought to value one another's stories. Why? We need to value and cherish and tell each other's stories. Why? Because there are no anonymous people in the kingdom. There's no little people in God's kingdom. There's no little comfort. No, there's his eternal work being done. Praise him. <laughs> this is joyful. Let's, let's, let's get into this. Let's capture the eternal perspective on story. Because then we can go on to something else that we need to do. And that's the on-the-ground perspective in Christ. Because this is what we need. This is where we're going to get into the bones of the text. And I want to waste any time. I want to get right into this. Because there's a wonderful structure that really emerged out of the text as I was in it. We saw it in the previous text. This is not the text from this morning. This is the text from two weeks ago. But I want you to notice something. Concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Those are how the Holy Spirit will convict. We also notice that after that threefold repetition, there's a second threefold repetition. He will declare it to you. He will declare it to you. Declare it to you. The work of the Spirit and concerning these three things then is mirrored in these three declarations. I thought that was a pretty neat thing to notice, and I pointed it out to you all, and, we, and I preached on it. But it's kind of interesting. It continues. There continue to be these triads in these threefold repetitions. And I think it's important to see them because I think structure, the structure of a text, the structure, the intentionality of the text is a vehicle for meaning. It's a way to deliver to you how this meaning fits together, how it hangs together. And it's important because we tend to, we tend to take ideas and separate them and put them in boxes. And God's putting these ideas together. So you have these th the, three, the three repetitions. A little while you'll, do anybody notice how clumsy this was? Do you notice that even when, I mean, it was obvious that Will was reading carefully and had, had done some practice, but look at this. It, it, it kind of, the Greek, it, it, the English, as you try to say the Greek, is a little clumsy, but it, it keeps repeating itself. This, a little while, you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, you will. What's this talking about? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is imminent for them. Within a few short hours, Christ will be on a cross. He will die and be entombed. He will be dead as a doornail. He will be confirmed dead by men who were professional killers. Nobody made any mistake. They couldn't. They didn't. That's not what they did. They were pros. They knew what they were doing, and he was in the grave. And all these men desert him. And, but he gives them this preview. So this threefold warning. John's reporting this, and I think he's reporting it because Jesus was careful to repeat himself, <laughs> lest they forget to remember I mean, they wouldn't remember even in the heat of the moment. They wouldn't remember when the, when the centurion came with the guards and Judas did the kiss. They won't remember, but they will remember later. And the repetition is a, is a vehicle for memory. It's a vehicle so they would capture in their minds. But, the, but this threefold thing in the text continues because the next threefold thing, he answers that is three, threefold, three times he instructs them to ask. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Did you notice this? Because then he repeats it again. 
Until now, you have not asked nothing. You have not asked nothing. But ask, and you will receive. Then he comes to the command. And then a third time, you will ask, he says, as he, as he predicts their, their future intimacy with God. We're going to, by the way, this is the macro look today. We're going we're gonna to focus in on some of these details in the weeks to come. But, but you will ask in my name. So it's a threefold asking. Threefold warning. Threefold asking. It gets better. There's another threefold, too. And that is, your sorrow will turn into joy. Then your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And then you will receive that what? Your joy may be full. And you'll see that these, each one of these kind of builds on each other. It's a joy that transforms. It's a joy that's permanent. And it's a joy that expands. It can grow. It can increase. Now, all right, what's the, what, what, now that I've, now that I've, now that I've given, look, look, see what I did? This is to help you track it. I don't know if it's really going to help or not. Uh, this is not a red letter Bible, obviously. But uh, the, the words about, you won't see me, will see me, this words about it's coming, not going. And, uh, you're, and then uh, the blue is about, about the, the prayer promises. And then finally, the green is about joy. Okay, so I'm mapping that out for you. And these, this is what I would call the bones of the text. And, and, and this kind of threefold structure gives you a clue that John and the Holy Spirit, John and God, wants you to somehow put these together in, in a synthetic whole. I want you to see this and understand this. And, how, and you know, it's funny, now that, I've, now that I've mapped it out in the text, you'll be able to remember it, won't you? It helps to remember things. These demand, you'll be able to outline this whole chapter if you just remember the sets of threes. You'll be able, and that's probably, I think it's intentional by John as an author. Now, but what's my, what's the encouragement with this? What's the encouragement with this? You know, I talked about the death and resurrection of Jesus and, and his belief in that that, that, that saves. But that, and that's what I want to, I'll be preaching and, and it's constantly encouraging you to, to invite you into his love. But I want just, I want to start with this. I want to take this pastorally now and see what we can learn from it. And the first thing that hits me the first thing that strikes me about this on-the-ground story is his description of how they're going to they're gonna get it, they're going to see him, and they won't see him. And I, and I was suddenly aware that I have, that's been an experience of my life. That this is actually an experience of anybody who has living faith. What am I talking about? Haven't you had this? Where sometimes you see him? Sometimes see how something things are so clear. Everything's hanging together. You know what your faith means and you rejoice in it. It makes clear you understand what obedience you're called to and, and you have a joy in your salvation. But then a couple of weeks later, a couple of days later, a couple of hours later, if you're me, because I go in really rapid psych. You don't have to nod at that, Corey. Oh, you're not okay. And now she's on like, yeah, he's really, you should see him. I go through cycles very quickly. But what do these cycles are telling? What, what, what's this? What do we learn from this right right away? These are human cycles, and they're part of God's work. He, David makes no mistake; he knows that there are times when God does hide His face from you, and it's like the sun going behind the cloud on you know a cold day when the sun's just warming you up just enough. But every time he goes behind a cloud, you're shivering and wishing you had bought a coat and thinking, I should know better in San Francisco. I should always bring a coat. And uh, how did I make this rookie mistake and not have a coat present? Because the weather train so, could change so quickly. But that, that, that rhythm, and I think we're being invited into understanding that. I think that the fact that he tells his disciples this, this is going to charm them later because that means they're going to get that this was his will. You need to get it as part of his will and work to somehow hide himself from you sometimes, to train you in this cycle we're uncovering. Because what happens after we start to understand how we, uh, we start to see a cycle that sometimes we see Christ and sometimes we don't? What's he trained us to do? this threefold promise of prayer. Oh my goodness, look at this. And if you know, whatever you ask is the most general promise. Then you have asked, and then he gives the command, ask and you will receive. And then he predicts, you will ask. Oh, what, what is this telling us? In the places where, where God sometimes seems clear and then less clear, we are to develop a lifestyle and a pattern of prayer, of crying out, Father, come. Father, Father, let me see you. Father, and, and what God, when, God, when God hides his face, what's he trying to train you to do? 
You know, you know it's funny. Uh, uh, I was talking to Cedric. Cedric came to Christ in a new and fresh way. And we were talking, you know, in the last couple of years. And now he's kind of in his second year as a baby in Jesus. And you know what's funny about it? He's starting to, he's like, this is getting a little rough. You know, man, I'm just like, I'm getting a little bit beat up. I'm getting, I'm getting out of the word. I'm getting, I'm getting, and I don't know if you noticed, if you're on his email, his, his text chain, he used to send out scriptures all the time. And that kind of stopped. And I, I said, why did it stop? And he said, because I wasn't in the word as much. Right? I'm not trying to pick on Cedric, but what did I tell him? You've been walking with the Lord, and when you're early with Jesus, he lets his face shine on you every day. He just does. He's really sweet about it, really present. But you know what? Life's not just like that, is it? And then he starts to pull back, not from you. He's pulling back so you will chase him. <laughs> He's pulling back so you will learn this pattern of prayer. You will learn a pattern and a lifestyle of, of assault and claim and walk, cut back to God and crying out because you won't learn to pray until he shows you, this is what it's like when I'm not paying attention. Tell me how it feels. Tell me, it's awful. And you're like, ah, I don't like this, I don't like this. And he's like, well, learn to pray. Learn to pray. Because what's the third, what's the third triad? Then you get joy. What? A joy that's transformative from sorrow into joy. A joy that no one can take from you. A joy that can just increase in itself. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wondrous? You know, you know what Eli did when he saw when he saw her, when he saw Hannah praying? You know what he did? He said, Hey, 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 you lush. Hey, hey, quit, quit drinking so much. You alcoholic, what's the matter with you? Look, you obviously fell off the wagon, but you know, you shouldn't come here in your drunkenness and pray to God. What do you Give up your alcohol. You know why he said that? Because she was so upset in her prayer that it looked like he suspected she was drunk in the morning. She was going nuts. She was just beside herself with grief and fear and anger and worry and, 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 and tension and, and loss. Oh, it's amazing. Do you know that she never tells Samuel, what she's even upset about? He doesn't even ask. because Eli, I'm sorry, Eli, 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 Samuel's coming. Eli, who's, who's the pastor at the time. So Eli doesn't ask her what the problem is. He's not much of a priest, we find out. He's really not much of a caregiver. <laughs> we find that out because he says sons that are out of control, and he, he's not doing anything about it. He could tell he's not much of a priest even for her. He says, tells her, he prejudges her. Then she defends herself. I have something really in my heart. And he's like, oh, well, may God bless whatever it is then. This is it. He gives her just kind of a casual blessing. And then she gets up and stops crying. She doesn't, and it's very obvious in the text, she doesn't know she's going to get a kid. She has no idea. But she does know one thing. She has been heard by God. And that gives her joy. It's wonderful. I, I love this. I love, I love this. I want us to get into this cycle right here, right? Of sometimes Christ being eclipsed in our hearts, sometimes joy, sometimes grace, sometimes praise, disappearing from us, receding. Well, then whenever that's happening, and it's going to happen, it can happen in terms of hours, weeks, sometimes even years. Hear the, hear the call, these, these threes, because they each one builds and gives you a coherent picture of how God rescues and how God calls us to call out for joy, to call out for his help, because you will be heard by God. Yes, he will hear you. Yes, he will hear you. Yes, he will. The bones of the text give us all of this possible hope and this gritty, what becomes a gritty story of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, but I want us to finally end with a triumphant perspective in Christ. So something, so with on the ground and what, how can we have this triumph? Because this ends with uh, be of good cheer, be of good courage, go out and get them guys, because I have overcome the world. What is this triumphant perspective that we have with Christ and can have when we have him? How can we have this as a part of the story that feels so grungy? Here it is, but be bold. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I actually like the old KJV here. Be of good cheer. <laughs> be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Uh, so what is this? What is this? Well, there's something happening in the text that we need to be aware of, and it continues to tell this story. Look what he tells them. 
you're going to be sorrowful. He even says, uh, what is, he goes on, he says, do you believe? You believe he came from God? Do you believe? Now believe? He seems like a question to Jesus because they're going to run. They're going to have trouble in this world. Look at the promise right next to the promise of his overcoming. You will have tribulation. Hear the Lord Jesus in his prophetic utterance. You will be scattered, he tells them. So where does triumph happen? Where does victory happen for the Christian? I want you to hear real joy here, guys. You're going to have hardships and tribulation. You know what I say to you? You, have, you can grab on to the triumph of God. Perhaps you, have, you will have sadness and depression. I, I struggle with terrible depression. What's the word for me? It was the word for those men. I can have triumph in Christ. You will run away. Yeah, you will. Look, you're going to bolt sometimes. You're not going to answer any calls from the elders or anybody else because you don't want, you don't know what to do. You're ashamed. You're ashamed of yourself and your behavior or ashamed that you've been so, so, so scatterbrained and so, and so unavailable. There's so many ways you run away and scatter. You will, you won't just, you won't really get it. If you're sitting there just going, I feel like I'm on the outside of something here when those guys are talking on something. I just don't get it somehow. They didn't get it either, but he preached his triumph to them anyway. Don't you hear it right now? Don't you see this? Isn't this a description of your life <laughs> at times and in places you've been? What does God preaching to you right in that moment when he was preaching to them? Uh, that's what you need to know. I have overcome the world. <laughs> when you are de- being beat, that beaten down by life, hear it, claim it, live in my triumph and see it. For I kill and raise to life, says the Lord, right? He brings life out of death, even our own death. Praise him, trust him, and have new confidence. Don't forget in the dark what you knew for certain in the light, right? In those days of easy calm, when it was good to be in Sunday school and it was good to go to the house of God, and then later you're like, oh no, don't forget what you were convinced of in the light. Don't forget in the dark, because the hour's coming, right? The hour, remember the evil day? The evil days are coming. They're promised by our Father. Be ready for it. And see in it, even there, the triumph of Christ. Remember, it is, it, is, it is Hannah's suffering that enables her to see the glory of the coming Savior. <laughs> Don't make no mistake, you probably won't see Jesus more clearly until God allows you to suffer because Christ's name was man of sorrows. How will you understand him? If all you are is a woman of pleasure, right? Or a man of pleasure. Oh, I love this promise, but it gets better. It gets better. No one will take your joy from it. Be bold, I've overcome the Lord. Let's say these promises together. There's something here. Not only is the, is, the, is the triumph for us in our brokenness, but the triumph is for us to claim who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, look at this. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Don't you see the suffering right here? What is it that's describing what those disciples are going through? What some of us, some of us feel like we're dying. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I hear Paul reaching back into John. He's heard these words from John. He knew John. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You should memorize this. This is thinking God's thoughts after him. This is learning the triumph he has for us in all the places of nakedness and danger and famine and sword. This is the promise that was hard won at the cross. It is the truth of his triumph. Oh, gosh, I hope this is encouraging, folks, because this is, this is what I needed today. This is what I needed, this story Look at this. I want one more thing I want you to see. Is anybody going to help me with this? Notice, look what's, look what's in here. Joy, love, peace. What's that sound like? This has all been about the helper. The helper is going to be sent. The Holy Spirit's coming. And, right, and what is it? This goes right to Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, and peace. So, yes, Amen. Do you, I want you to hear this. So, so what this is saying is we got to own his triumph. 
in our suffering, in, our, in the dark days. We need to own his triumph in the promises of our worship. We, we make, he is able to make us stand through all of that. He's not going to let us go. And finally, how can we own that promise? By the filling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, you won't know the, God, the triumph of God and can't access it as living way for yourselves until you have the Holy Spirit. It's just, he, the Holy Spirit is filling this text. He is applying this text now. I hope you're hearing. Can you hear him? So what does Samuel's name mean? It sounds like the Hebrew for heard by God. Samuel L, heard by God. This pattern of threes charmed my heart. For Samuel experienced threes too. So Hannah was so delighted that she had a son that she gave him back to God, completely. And when she was weaned, she, she was a little selfish, but not in a bad way. She was that wonderful love of a mother. She, she, she nursed him, wouldn't give him up, would not give him up and surrender him until she had a chance to wean him. And then she gave him the temple. And every year when she'd come up, she would make a little outfit for him, <laughs> a new little temple outfit for him in the temple. And, and they would go back every year. And, and it's, just, it's, just, it's a story that, that, that some of our stories don't get these beautiful answers like that. But remember, she was certain she had been heard. It didn't matter what the answer was. She had a hard surrender to God. But, but then it says, Samuel waited on Eli. He was his little attendant. If, Samuel wanted to, if, if Eli wanted a drink, he'd be like, Samuel. And Samuel, here I am, master. Here I am. And uh, can you get me the ephod? Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Hey, Sa hey, hey Samuel. Samuel, where are you? And he, he went there. So one night he was laying down, the bed, laying down to sleep. And Samuel, it says, the text says it clear as a bell. He did not yet know who God was. Not really. He did not know the word of the Lord. For the word of God was rare in those days. That's what it says. It was rare. So, so he lays down in the tank. They, they, would, they lived right where God lived. It's like a manse was the tank. It's weird. But you lived, they lived in the church, essentially. They lived in the tabernacle. And he hears it. Samuel, Samuel. Oh, oh, oh. In the middle of the night comes in. Yes, yes, Eli. Yes, master. What can I do for you? I didn't call you. Go to bed. Oh, he goes lying down. And then a second time, Samuel, Samuel, huh. Eli, Master, Master, I'm here, I'm here to serve you. You need a cup of water, what do you need? Do you need anything? I didn't call you, go back to bed, stop waking me up. I'm elaborating a little bit. <laughs> but I know how old men sleep, and I don't think that he was all that pleasant. <laughs> You'll find out in a second why. He says, so a third time, a third time, a third time. Samuel, Samuel, Eli runs in. Now, Eli probably hadn't quite gotten back to sleep, and he's trying to, trying to figure out a strategy to keep the little kid from stop, keep waking him up. And he's like, oh, wait a second. If it's not me calling him, oh, boy, oh, boy, wait a second. Hey, Samuel, the next time you hear that voice, say, speak, for your servant is listening. So, Samuel goes back to bed. Eli is now assured he's going to get a good night's sleep, probably snoring now at this point. And what do you hear again? Fourth time, Samuel, Samuel. And what does he say? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I pray that's your heart today from the threes, from the story of Hannah. The story of an eternal, an eternal love that captures you up in its story. A story that's hard-bitten, that gets down into the, the guts of our lives and the times we can't see our Savior. A story that promises joy in those hard times and then goes past that and beyond it to promise triumph and conquering and overcoming and the Spirit brings it. And I'm hoping that we're all little Samuels now. All little Sammies who can say, I was heard by God. You should call me Samuel because I was heard by my God. He heard me. My suffering didn't even go away, but he heard me. And I'm hoping that that Holy Spirit will be the result of this message. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, dear Father.
We come to you as children, and we come to be able to hear. And we won't be able to hear unless the Spirit helps us. And we won't be able to hear in dark days unless we cry out and the Spirit helps us and brings us joy. And Father, we can't get our hands around a a meta story about eternity unless you, Holy Spirit, speak it to us and speak to us the deep significance that an eternal father finds in all his children and all their stories. Oh, how I praise you. Oh, how I praise you. Oh, how I thank you. Take this word, seal it to our hearts this week. Make it, give it feet, give it hands, give, it, give, it, give us an ability to hear you calling and to hear your word and to hear your comforts and to hear your triumph again. Give us a fresh heart to hear it again. Some of us have been away from you a long time. Lord, hear us again, we pray. Oh yes, hear, I pray over all the people here that they would have that joy of, 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 of being heard by, heard by you. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. On the night, why did I preach all this? Well, it's because of this. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. This is the cup of the covenant. His blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. There's a little parallel here to the message, isn't there? This is a humble, these are very humble bits here. This is just some good bread and some good wine. That's good. But these are telling eternal stories. You see? In the same way you, in the bits of your life, we all, God's telling an eternal story, isn't he? And he, tell, he whispers it to us in these little things. He's so good to us because he, he makes his love so practical and real and accessible. He's saying, this is, how, this is how accessible I am. Come and get it. Come and taste of me. Remember me in this. We believe the Holy Spirit inhabits this table, inhabits the blood, and inhabits the bread and the wine with his body and blood spiritually. And for that reason, we have, uh, we have, war- we have encouragements and warnings. So I encourage you, let me encourage you. This table is for sinners. This is table is for people who can't seem to find God today, but know they have him anyway. Are you there? <laughs> Has God been hiding some of his face from you at times? Come. He's revealing it right here on the table. Come and Come and taste and see. This is for sinners. This is for broken people. This is for a people who need rescue. These are people who know they're broken and have a solution in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection and his rising from the dead. Praise him. Bob, but as I've opened a door that no man can shut, let me shut a door that no man can open. And that is because the Holy Spirit inhabits this table for sinners, if you think you're a good woman, And if you think you're a good man, I'm sorry, I I hate to be the one to do this, but I have to tell you, this isn't your table. This doesn't belong to people who think they're good. It's not for them. Christ said, I came to heal the sick. Healthy don't need a physician. Only those who know they're sinners and their hope is in Jesus. So that's the door that's shut on the self-righteous, on those who think they're they're good enough already. You, you You have to go to a different church than this. And a different table. But finally, some of you are skeptics, and you find my claims, uh, while, while wildly enthusiastic, uh, generally unsupportable. Okay, if that's you, and in your skepticism, and your critique, and your analysis, you think that I have not made my claims in a way that's worthy of you giving your life to Christ today, I understand that. And I hope you watch this table, and you envy the love we have in God. And you envy our comfort and you'll want it someday for yourself. All right? Okay, fantastic. Uh, the kids are coming down. So this is, what, this is the drill at this point. We're going to do the, the mystery of faith. Uh, we're going to do the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to sing a song. And uh, while we're singing the song, I want, we, we each come up and take, uh, take a piece of bread, and we have gluten-free crackers on the plate, and then we have juice to the left and wine to the right for those who prefer one or the other. Take them back to your seat, and we'll take everything together at the end. Then, this is a special Sunday. Uh, and there's two features happening in the, in the worship that we do here as, a, as we have a tradition. And that is we lay on hands, and we send people who are going from us. One of the, one of the things that our God has made very clear, and kind of heartbreakingly so to all of us who live in the city and aren't ever leaving, <laughs> is that a lot of people are leaving and have to leave as God calls them. 
And it's not our business to say when that happens or if it should happen. It's, it's what God does. But we are looking to bless that work. So we are sending uh, Peter and Adele and Isaac and Callan, and we're going to pray over them. We're going to do a prayer ball at the end. Uh, don't, if you don't like being close to people, just stand a little far away and raise your hand over us. Or something. I get it. Some, some people don't like people. I can't stand it when people I don't know are touching me. So I, I get that. So, so, uh, but we're going to pray. We're going to gather around them in prayer. And we, and you can think of it right now, I want like a little blessing that you're going to pray for them. Just something you're going to shout over them and pray over them. And we're going to pray, and then I'm going to close us, and then we will we'll receive, a, we'll receive the benediction and be done, all right? And we'll, see the, we'll do the doxology, and actually Isaac and Callum will lead us in the doxology this Sunday, uh, and, uh, and it's wonderful. And they'll even teach you the, teach you the, the, the hand motions, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I get them confused, so don't watch me. All right, let's stand. Um, uh, uh, tell them, uh, let's proclaim together the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. Tell me, Christian, uh, First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, made by the Holy Spirit, born of Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyterian.sf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.